Right, if you'd like to start turning to Romans 7, if only for my sake, I'm going to pray first. (laughs) Lord, I just want to thank you for the amazing time of worship we had today, Lord, just being able to focus on you, and it is all about you, and I pray that the words I speak will just speak about you. Uh, Give me that grace, I pray. Amen. Okay, so you should know we're working through the book of Romans, which is the very core of the gospel. And it is, and it's very appropriate we uh, had communion today, because it is all about Jesus, and it is all about what he has done and the sacrifice that he has paid. Because Romans talks about us and who we were, and now because of him who we now are, and how we've changed, and the miracles that have happened. Last week, uh, Nigel talked from uh, chapter 6, how before we were once slaves to sin, but because of Jesus, we're now free from that bondage. We don't have to sin anymore. It's not inevitable. We have that freedom. So I'm preaching, as you can well, well see, on Romans 7. And Paul is expanding on this same theme. Let's see if this works. Aha, okay. So reading from verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God." For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Being the only one of the regular preachers who isn't actually married... Uh, I had two theories as to why I was actually chosen to do this one. (laughs) One was to dump me in it and see what happened. (laughs) Um, I thought it might be, yeah. (laughs) The the other is that seeing as I'm comparing marriage to an unforgiving system of bondage and condemnation, perhaps it was safer if I brought it rather than anyone else. (laughs) So both were true. (laughs) Right. Obviously, I'm only joking uh, about that, but this passage, uh, it's easy to get some misconceptions. Uh, it doesn't, it's not talking about marriage per se, um, and it certainly seems to be very much a negative view on the law, but we need to be very careful about this, and we need to sort of start looking at some of the details. I find anything that Paul writes very difficult to read. Um, he uses very long words, 
very long sentences, which by the time you get to the end of it, you don't know what he, his starting point was. And I have to really focus and look in detail at each point. So that's how I'm going to do the sermon today. Because what I hope to do, going through each detail, and then just try and bring it together and try and bring out the, the, the heart message, and maybe even a summary at the end, well, I'll try. Okay. So back to verse 1. Paul is speaking to someone. Brothers, those who know the law. We know he was writing to the Roman church, and he's writing to say, well, people who know the law, who are at least familiar with it. I think it's also written to us, uh, in a way, to those of us here who call themselves Christians, who know the law. But I also get a feeling that Paul is also making um, a comment on, well, do you know the law? Uh, you know the, the written word. You know the details that's on the page in front of you. We're all familiar with the leather-bound book in our hands or the device we're holding. But do you know what the word is? What's the purpose of the word? How does the word serve you? I wonder, and I don't know, if Paul is actually hinting at that. If he speaks to those who know the law but then goes on to talk about it in greater detail. Okay. So, in the past chapters, he's been teaching us how we've been saved through grace, through Jesus Christ. Um, and Paul is sort of wanting to sort of draw this comparison. Throughout Romans, it's, you were this, now you're that. You're this, now you're that. This is what it was like. This is what it now is like. And it's the same with the law. And he sets it out quite clearly uh, from the beginning. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. You die and no longer. It's black and white. So this is a story of grace versus law. Okay. Verses 2 and 3, Paul tries to sort of give an example of what this actually means. It's fairly straightforward in its meaning. Um, obviously, if you're married, if your partner dies, then you're no longer married. You're a widow. It, it, it's fairly supposed to be quite simple like that. What I'm going to say is that I'm not going to touch on the issue of grounds for divorce. Um, <laughs> Paul talks about that somewhere else, and Jesus talks about it. And I'm not going to talk about or open that can of worms. But obviously it does talk about adultery there, but if we can just not look at it at the moment. I think the point is more simple. We were under law, but that changes with death. Now, I don't know if this is going to work, but I came up with my own analogy. Um to sort of demonstrate the simplicity of the point. I found this on the internet. Let me just read the, uh, the statement. A hearse driver in County Donegal Island was pulled over while leading a funeral procession. 
In a police crackdown on speeding, John Carr was clocked driving at 43 miles per hour in a 30-mile zone and fined 80 euros and two penalty points were added to his driving record. Carr, as well as the other drivers in the cortege, were among hundreds of drivers caught speeding in the area. So he managed to got himself and everybody who was trying to keep up with him booked. <laughs> who didn't get a ticket? <laughs> the, the poor guy in the back. Uh, this is a stupid analogy and I apologize. Um, but it makes the point quite simply. Uh, the guy in the back was dead. He didn't get the parking ticket. He didn't get the speeding ticket. Where my uh, analogy fails is where it only tells half of what Paul was trying to say. Yes, um, we're under a law that finishes with death, but it's also about marriage. Um, I watched a very inspiring film last week, uh, The Princess Bride. There's a very strong message about marriage in that, and I can recommend you watch that. Later, um, it inspired me. Uh, (laughs) Marriage is a very... You've dumped me in it. (laughs) Marriage. uh, Is the most binding and intimate of relationships. Um, It's kind of strange to think about being in that relationship with the law... But it's very strong. The the wording is quite strong and the image is quite strong. You were bound, you were married to the law. That makes the the end of the story all that more exciting because we are bound and we are married permanently to Christ. And we'll come to that a bit later. But we need to look at what it actually means. This relationship we have or we had uh, with the law. So what is the purpose of the law? Like Paul, I'm going to assume that you all know the word, although I appreciate some people here may not uh, know the word. So I'm going to go through in very basic detail and very quickly the purpose of the law. Romans 3.10 tells us that no one is righteous, no, not one. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short. And that is the fundamental problem we have, a lack of righteousness. Because God is just. And if God is just, then he demands judgment. And that doesn't sound very nice, but I'm thankful that God is just. If you were to imagine a world where, say, murder was considered acceptable or you wouldn't be punished what would that world look like that is one sin so can you imagine a world with a god who didn't care or who was unjust we would all kill ourselves i think so there needs to be judgment and even though we may disagree when it concerns ourselves it, it does, and we need to uh, face that fact. So we're stuck, or are we? 
God, throughout Scripture, has introduced a plan. You could turn to Deuteronomy 28. There's a lot to read there. But God introduced the law. He wanted to show man what was right and what was wrong. There's a lot of books in the Bible you can read that will detail that in uh, very careful detail. But I picked out Deuteronomy 28 as if a summary. Um, And if I read it from verse 1, Moses is speaking to the Israelites about how God had given them the law and now is giving them a final instruction. And it says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. And he lists a very long list of blessings. But in verse 15, however, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. The Israelites were given a written code, an instruction. You must do this, but you must not do that. It was set out quite clearly, quite plainly. If they were to keep it to the letter, they would be blessed. If they were to fail on any single letter at any time, they would fail. And they would not uh, be, be righteous. Obviously, they failed. We all fail. We can all try. Uh, We all are familiar with what we think is right and wrong. We try to do what's right, but we all do what's wrong. (laughs) That is why we needed Jesus Christ. And in Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now the curse that came upon all of us, as was written in Deuteronomy, would have destroyed us. But that same curse is the one that landed and was taken up by Jesus Christ. So, what does this tell us about the law? The law condemns us and it does absolutely nothing to save you. Romans 3, 19 to 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It's not going to do you any good. (laughs) It's not going to save you. This is sounding rather negative about the law, isn't it? (laughs) So what is the purpose of the law? Well, what else can we find out? Well, it gets worse, really. The law only increases the amount you sin. Romans 5, 20 to 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass or the sin. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death... Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law is powerless to save you. In fact, it just makes you, it digs a deeper pit for you. But as you can already read, there is a hope. (laughs) If we go back to verse 5, the law not only fails to save, it also makes us sin more. It also fails to produce any righteousness. We can't do anything good through it. (laughs) Instead, we bear fruit for death. Um, Nigel covered a lot of these fruit in some quite graphic detail. (laughs) Uh, So, lust, gluttony, sloth. The list is probably or virtually endless. Uh, And I don't really want to go into any more detail. Listen on the uh, internet. It's worth listening to. (laughs) But we are, as we learn from Nigel, we are freed from the power of the law. And sinning is no longer inevitable. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. So the, the law has no more power over us. But can we let it? Is it still possible to rely on the law? We have a freedom. We also have a choice. The law is there, and should we try to rely on it in our own strength, what does that become? I didn't really want to do this. It's not a very pleasant topic. (laughs) But I thought I'd talk about legalism as something that we all need to be very careful of as Christians. How do I define it? Well, in basic essence, you're rejecting grace and returning to the law as your source of righteousness. Paul gives a quite helpful statement in Colossians 2:20 to 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerns things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh." Legalism can come in many different forms. Uh, at this point, I toyed with the idea of having a surgeon come across the screen with holding a scalpel and had a discussion about circumcision. And uh, <laughs> I thought that wouldn't be appropriate, and I shouldn't be saying it now either. Uh, <laughs> might have been funny. That's probably one extreme. And the early church faced that. that they were going back to the law. Well, we must be circumcised. We must that the Gentiles must be circumcised. I don't think anybody in this room is in favor of, um, no, circumcision. But legalism can take even more subtler forms. The being perhaps persistent with minor doctrines or what we believe about the end days or, and being so persistent in that that you reject others. 
is a form of legalism. My getting up in the morning, not reading my Bible and thinking, oh no, it's going to be a bad day today because I've not read my Bible, uh, is, is a, in ignoring the, for the grace of God. It can creep in so very easily. So, what is the risk for someone who is a legalist? Well, it's understandable that a legalist would be afraid of the reverse, license. Um, we heard that Paul was, was worried, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Obviously, the fear is that with thinking you're under grace, there's nothing to stop me from sinning anymore. And it's understandable they do want to avoid that, but not to the extreme of going back to legalism. At least the person who believes in license believes in grace, <laughs> and he has grace. What does the legalist have? I didn't know what else to say on that, really. The point is made fairly plain, and it's a painful one, and it's one for perhaps all of us just to be conscious of, and that to be ever so vigilant for legalism creeping into our lives. Because where the lack of grace is, there's a lack of fruit, and there's potential other fruit of death that can creep in. Okay. So the law is wrong, right? Wrong. <laughs> it's time for a bit of balance. Um, it, it can seem all very negative, and, and a lot of it is. But Paul is not saying that the law is wrong. In fact, creeping now into Nigel's next sermon, I hope he doesn't mind. I'll, I'll be very quick. Romans 7.12, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And there are plenty other scriptures, 2 Timothy 2.22, all scriptures, God breathed, useful for teaching, preaching, rebuking and training in righteousness. Okay, so the law isn't evil, it's not wrong, but it's dead now, right? No. <laughs> Verse 4, let's look a bit closer. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. The law didn't die. The law is permanent. It's, it's God's word. It is holy. It's true. Your relationship to the law has died. The bondage that it had on you, the power it had over you is now dead because you have died through Christ. And by that, obviously, we don't mean we've physically died. We would have noticed that. But in our spirit... Our spirit has been transformed through death. And for what purpose? Hmm. 
Now for the happy bit. <laughs> Why have we died to the law? That you may belong to another, you may bear fruit for God. Jesus wants us to belong to him. And that should be enough, really. He wants to be married to you in the most intimate and binding of relationships, which I don't yet understand. <laughs> Ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been separated. Um, but now the miracle has taken place. That has actually all been reversed through this, which is incredible. So much of what Paul writes in Romans is about this. We are now joined to him. We are now in a relationship to him. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you are radically different. You are changed. If you're not a Christian this morning, you can be changed. And the only thing that can change you can happen to you today. But as well as that, he wants us to bear fruit. We are now joined to the source of all righteousness. And naturally, if we're joined to the source, we will bear fruit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is a start. Can you turn to a very familiar passage, John 15, which talks about being tapped in to the source. With that. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I suppose marriage is like abiding, <laughs> in a way. Um, you spend most of your time together, talk together. Um, and it's a choice to abide in him, to abide in each other, but to abide in Jesus Christ and to stay tapped in to that source. Sometimes it can feel a bit difficult to uh, forget there where this source is and to to lose um, or fail to accept the grace or to think to take the grace. 
Sometimes we need a bit of help. How can we be helped? Well, let's move to verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So rather than remaining in a state of spiritual death, we are now made alive and regenerated in the Holy Spirit so that we can serve. We have a help. We are now, if you are a Christian today, a bearer of the Holy Spirit in you, there to help you to serve. Interestingly, here's the law again. We fail to do it on our own and we tried our hardest. But the Spirit is here to help us to fulfill the law, to fulfill acts of righteousness according to what the law would dictate. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. I think I've gone through that quite quickly. I've already come to the conclusion. And I know, I remember saying at the very end of this sermon, I was going to come up with a very clever heart message statement of, of what this passage is. Yeah, no, I couldn't. <laughs> it's basically Jesus Christ. And I think I've, hopefully I've made anything plain, it's that. And all that I wanted to say, really, if there's any statement I want to ask, is, are you alive? Is there anybody here who doubts that? Is there anybody who's not sure um, what on earth I'm talking about? Or is there anybody who wants their life to radically change? I want to give you an open invitation to come and speak to me or Nigel and Callie to, to discuss this, because you can be changed this morning. And Phil, would you like to come up? I think we'd probably just carry on with worship. But please, don't let the day go by without discussing this. <laughs>